Are you hidden? Okay, he's doing it. Here we go. Welcome to yet another episode of Trekkers Delight FTP. Um, we are continuing our series on portrayals of women in Star Trek with the Lorelei signal today. I have with me William Wofford and Eris Pormore. And if you guys could introduce yourselves, that would be great. My name is William Wofford. I'm the videographer for Trekkers Delight and also a highly knowledgeable young millennial tricky probably the only one of my age but um but that's okay <laughs> um i'm usually here on the show with marie because she's really good at educating me on what trek in some areas tend to screw up and i also run lgb trek as well as black trek so be sure to tune in and subscribe to our channel thank you so much for having me and my name is eris permore I'm a, uh, eventually I will figure out what to say here in these segments, but for now we're going with, I'm the uh, nerd yeah. commenter and a trans, trans perspective person. Fair enough. <laughs> and I'm Marie Brownhill. You can find me at Unimatrix 47 or, and the Modern Gamer, Gamer column. Wow, words are hard, guys. <clears throat> Yes, also, everyone, of everyone is going to have to forgive me because, in fact, I am not even cool enough to get name brand COVID. No, no, I have the Kirkland Signature Winter Cold, so that's what's going on. Um, but you can find me at Unimatrix Forty Seven uh, and Modern Gamer on Game Industry News, as well as here at Trackers of Light. So we are continuing, as I said earlier, we are continuing our segment looking at portrayals of women in Star Trek with um, the Lorelei signal. This is um, the fourth episode of the first season of the animated series. And just to give a brief overview of what happens in the episode, um, the, the Enterprise has been dispatched to an unknown sector of space because, you know, about roughly every 27 and change, um, I'm sure Spock could give you the decimals, I cannot, um, years, a, a ship will disappear in this particular location. So it's kind of like Brigadoon. Um, and the Enterprise has been dispatched, dispatched to figure it out. As they go, um, they receive a signal and <laughs> all of the men on the Enterprise are like, this is amazing. We need to be part of this. Um, to the point where they literally start uh, hallucinating very hot Targaryen looking women. Um, I'm going to borrow Eris's term for them. Um, literally like this. It even happens to Spot guys, which that tells you exactly how strong this is. They'd be down to the planet. They're convinced this is the most beautiful planet they've ever seen. Um, and by they, I mean, it's Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and a random red shirt. Raise your hand if you're shocked. Um, they go to a central temple the head female Philo welcomes them, talks about how excited she is to see them. She sings a little tune at their magic TV uh, and they have some conversations and they're basically like, we're going to have a feast. There they are. That is terrifying. Right? Right? I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like Heather's meets like Stepford Wives there. Um, I mean, a, a decent remake with the, with the Stepwives Step with the Stepford Wives 
um, thing would definitely work. Like I'd watch it. It's vaguely terrifying. Um, But everyone is convinced that these are the most, this is the most beautiful place I've ever been. These are the most beautiful women. And you know, they're, they, they they start hitting on these women like with a mallet. Um, They drink some nectar because this is 1973 and we're not actually going to cop to the fact that they're drinking booze, but they're drinking nectar and they get a little tipsy and Thela sends them off to the chambers of repose to get some rest. Um, they wake up, some things happen. They discover that they're weaker, mostly because these women are able to toss them around like, like rag dolls. They notice that they've aged a great deal. They're wearing these amazing new headbands. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, and it turns basically what happens is it turns out that the women are using these headbands to actually transfer, and I cannot make this up, their vital essence <laughs> from them to the women. Um, they attempt to escape, they escape to the garden, they hide in an urn. Spock goes back and attempts to contact the ship. Meanwhile, aboard the ship, Uhura and Chapel being Uhura and Chapel have noticed that something is up, mostly because Scotty is sitting in the captain's chair singing to himself yes. and not really doing anything else. I mean, that's Scotty. That's Scotty. You know, yeah, but like, also, he's going to like 10 minutes of my life. All I, he I needs is to get back, right? Like, I will never get back. But Uhura eventually decides that she's going to take over command of the vessel because all of the men are just being ridiculous. And she and Chapel basically set up a whole system where they just corral the men and handle pretty much everything on their own with um, female security officers. Spock crawls, we're we're not quite there yet, but we're getting close. Um, Spock crawls out of the urn. He goes and finds their communicators. He reaches out to the Enterprise and he says, we need help. (laughs) And then he collapses because he too is getting older and and aging at an an accelerated rate. Uhura and Chapel being down with phasers. They are having nothing to do with this nonsense um, and start blowing shit up as a way to get information on where these, these men could possibly be. They rescue they rescue everybody because, of course, it starts raining while they're in this freaking urn and the men can't get out of the urn, so they're just going to drown. <laughs> um, there we are. The right there. of the episode right there. It, not a joke. Actually, not a joke. Of all the times <laughs> it rained before, and it's like, oh, yeah, and, and this one conveniently decides to fill up. Right. Anyway, um, Thela explains to Uhura that what happened was is that they are all descended from a group of people that left their dying homeworld and moved to this particular planet, and there's an enervating influence on the planet, and the women were able to do, to develop a again, I cannot make this up, a glandular secretion that protected them, and the men withered off, died. Yep, process that for a second. <sighs> Just, yeah. I, I um, mean, it, because I'm the I, only I, I, what I, I didn't We are going to get through the summary. We're getting okay. through it. Yeah, we actually have to finish the summary. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh-huh. And uh, so anyway, <clears throat> Eventually, basically, Uhura is like, look, we are going to destroy your whole business unless you fix this problem. Because, again, Uhura is having none of your nonsense. And um, they they rescue everybody. They beam them back aboard the Enterprise. And, unfortunately, Chapel can't really do anything to stop the process. So they decide that they're going to use the transporters um, to reconstitute their patterns and you know undo the damage which as we know from tng is the thing you can do but like this is the animated series 1973 and so this is this is relatively new technology even as far as trek goes um obviously that works everything is hunky-dory um everybody is fine uh eventually uhura basically tells thela that the Federation will send an all-female vessel to rescue them and relocate them to an entirely new planet. And Thela's all excited because she's sacrificing immortality for, again, again, I cannot make this up, for the opportunity to experience love because they make a big deal about the fact that the women can't even have children. And that is how the Lorelei signal ends. (laughs) 
Um, for my own part, I I had such hopes going into this episode because Uhura really, really I remember watching it as a kid, and Uhura really does have these in, like these amazing Banff moments where she is just not having any of your nonsense. But so much of that gets overshadowed by how women are portrayed here. Um, so it turns out that it's called the Lorelei signal because there is a German myth. Um, where Lorelai is a maiden of the Rhine who works as a siren and lures men to their deaths on the bank of the Rhine. I've seen the Rhine. It's not that scary. Just, just got to float that out there. So now that we've gotten through... There's no more girls in an entirely different context now. <laughs> right. So now that we've gotten through the summary um in record time i might add we're only 10 minutes into the broadcast yeah it usually takes us a good 40. right like look at us look at us we're, we're improving are it's we doing growth. Good it's growth um but one of the things i do want to talk about in in the context of this episode is i want to talk about what we think of how these women are portrayed and what it says about how the animated series, how Trek and how people at the time were looking at these women and this particular myth. So who wants to start? Eris, I'm going <laughs> to this time. Yeah. My friend, you got thrown under the bus. So from it, I, I have to remind myself that this was 1974. Literally 73 or 73. 73. 73. And years ago next year. Yeah, 50 years ago next year. And so it was a very different time. And that that this the portrayal of female empowerment both in this female-only society and in how Yahura and Chapel handle uh, the enterprise. It is coming from a very different place than it does now. Um, Thank Cthulhu sleeping in relay. Yeah, yeah. Um, because one on the t-shirt too. <laughs> all like this episode was immensely painful. It, it just in being bad. Uh, this is this is the trope that. Women can only be in charge if they are some using some kind of sexuality to uh, lure men to their demise. And the, uh, the trope that women are leeches on the masculine vigor of men thrown in a blender and turned to 11. Um, That's a lot of mixed metaphors. Like, I, I think that might be a record. I, I, I have more I could throw in, but I think... Oh, I'll no, start. I know. Don't let me stop you. I think you need the, to keep going. The, the, this is the worst parts of um, the Orion slave girl from the cage and uh, Mud's women combined without any other redeeming aspects from those episodes. I get, I get a little feeling of, like, the, the Orion slave girl from Dagger of the Mind, too, like, before we get too far. Yeah. Yeah, there's when I say the only redeeming part of this episode was the was the cast where our male main characters all floating in an urn. I I'm not joking. That that was pretty much it. I don't know. I think for me, I really love the moment where Uhura just basically again is just like I am done with this nonsense. Because there's this fantastic moment where she she goes up and she's standing beside the command chair. Scotty is singing to himself. God knows why. But Scotty's singing to himself. And she just leans over, punches the button, and says, I am, you know, Lieutenant Uhura, the most senior lieutenant available. I am going to take command of this ship and I accept responsibility for this action. A more detailed explanation will follow. <laughs> I'm like... Yes. <laughs> in in I, I tried really hard to enjoy Yahura in this because I read uh, 
a comment from uh, Nichelle Nichols somewhere that she actually really enjoyed this episode because of those Yuhura moments. Um, that, that first off, though, I'd like it, it was jarring to me that the way Yuhura handled the, the the women on the planet and getting resolving the whole situation was so not Starfleet. Like, okay, th this is this is Starfleet. We don't. No matter what the the, especially what what a relatively non-violent uh, people are doing that is causing us difficulties, we don't beam down and just start shooting up their stuff until they give us back what we want. Like that that mm -hmm. I, I almost it's thought that, to I, us. I thought that was almost a little problematic that you heard just came in like a hammer and started smashing the, this culture that they discovered. Um, it, it's despite, I mean, despite the fact that this culture was bullshit, that they, they were basically vamp, like psychic vampires. Um, I, I wasn't really a fan of that portrayal of Yuhura at all. And, and that, that's on top of the fact that, that the, it, it, again, try as I did to put this in a perspective for the 1970s, uh, all I could see when this entire security detail of red skirts beams down is that god-awful moment from Endgame where all the women of Marvel kind of line up for their big PR shot. Yeah, it was. it, it fell dead for me. There's a lot of really kind of interesting stuff to unpack there. Um, certainly on the one hand, it, there's, we are trying to, to juxtapose like the Targaryen bimbos with, because that, that's roughly what they are, um, with the Starfleet women, Uhura and Chapel and the rest of, of the Red Skirts, which is now a, a term that is in, just permanently burned into my brain. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I also found it really uncomfortable that we got a lot of semi upskirt shots. And I'm like, how do you get an upskirt shot in an animated show? But like, well done. Yeah. Um, that was uncomfortable. Um, but I do like that Uhura gets the opportunity to have that kind of agency because that's something that never happens in any, any live action version the films, the original series, nothing. Um, it's kind of like Troy doesn't get the opportunity to have a real uniform until season seven, and she doesn't get to fly the... Hey, <laughs> and she doesn't actually get to pilot, or like to be in charge of the bridge until Generations. It's the same, it felt very much to be the same sort of way. Um, the other thing I thought was really interesting about this is there's this weird emphasis on their barrenness. Um, yeah. And that is something that if we are going to, if we are going to bring up problematic portrayals of women, um, Joss Whedon has a uh, factor very strongly into the black widow story. Yeah. This concept that um, there's something I, Widow actually refers to it as, as being almost monstrous that she is unable to bear children. And um, that's so reductive. <laughs> Joss Whedon has problems with pregnant women. Doesn't have problems with women. Fair. Uh, between his, what he did with Black Widow in Marvel and what he did with Charisma Carpenter on Angel... Uh, right. simultaneously berating her for being pregnant and then turning her, the plot arc of it, into an abomination. Like, 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 we don't talk about Connor because Connor doesn't deserve to be talked about. No, 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 not a joke. But it's interesting that we're still, that we're still having that kind of, that same kind of approach from 1973. Don't um, talk about Bruno. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Don't talk about Bruno. 
I've not seen this movie, but I'm assuming that's from Encanto. <laughs> it's from, uh, it's funny, y'all were talking about don't talk about this, and she literally said, yeah, don't talk about Bruno. And it's from a new Disney film, I think it's called Encanto. But um, if, if I may, um, this is Callie, this is my niece. Um, hi. Hi, Callie. This is Marie. Say hi, Marie. Hi. And this is Eris. Say hi, Eris. Hey, Eris. So we're talking about Star Trek, remember? We talk about Star Trek. Yeah, we're talking about Star Trek. <coughs> yes, and trust me, 50 years from now, this is going to be really important to you, okay? So, 50? Um, as far as, far, uh, well, you know, historically. So, um, <laughs> my, my, my civilization will still exist in 50 Yes, I will certainly hope so, you know, like, anyway. And this is Julia. Hi. Hi. Okay. So, as far as my festival, can I speak now? I'm, I'm gonna speak. So, as far as what I'm thinking about the show, and I'm sorry, we didn't speak. You know, because mm -hmm. I kind of babysit my niece. Ah. ah. Yeah, I'll be right back. I gotta go put her away. Let me. Let me just <laughs> put her away. Well done. <laughs> I gotta take this little troll and take you with his little Ferengi. Come here. I'll be right back. But I do. I, I mean, I do kind of want to talk about this. This concept of. Um, somehow in order to be like a fully fledged woman right like you have to have the capability to bear children and that's such an it's it's this unfortunately pervasive ideal i mean i think even pope francis has actually come up and made comments about yeah. how um you know the, the people who choose barrenness not as a metaphor for uselessness yeah I mean, what what he I think what he says is that people who choose not to have children are being selfish or missing out on one of the joys of life or something. And who is which is hilarious because you know we're talking. He's talking about like a man who's celibate. Right, he's like a ninety-year-old virgin or something like that, and he doesn't know how to drive. So, yeah, really, buddy. And it's and actually, it's really interesting child-free, I always get rankled by assertions like that. Right. I mean, because like <laughs> as a trans woman, you know, traditional methods of, of childbearing are not a interesting like, personally, they're not interesting to you. But even if they were, they would be a barrier. But that doesn't mean that you're any less of a woman. Right. <laughs> the, 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 the idea that that being able to have children is a quintessential part of femininity and of womanhood. Uh, it's the kind of thing that maybe you had a valid point in the stone age, but this is, the, we aren't that society anymore. <laughs> and we weren't even a society in 1973. No. Like that's, what's particularly interesting. And did you notice that the, that the screenplay was written by a woman? Right. Like what, Way to way to shoot yourself in the foot there, right? Like, I mean, this is this is some very deeply internal internalized misogyny. Yeah, but Germaine actually has an has an interesting and <laughs> Germaine point here that if you are going to be in charge of something, you also can't be capable of childbearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, which is a really interesting kind of conversation to have because, like, if you if you equate fecundity with femininity um and that's that's a lot of effidity words by the way i think we can say just f that i mean yes we're gonna say f that but we're getting to that but if you but if you equate femininity with fecundity but you intentionally exclude mothers from having being part of the power structure what is that saying I mean, that's not hard. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that saying, women get back in the kitchen and get barefoot and get pregnant and make me a pie. Yes. And then you, but, but weirdly, we have those great moments with Aurora. And I, I understand why you find her sort of guns blazing approach problematic. I will, however, remind you that this is still comparatively early. This is 1973. This is still TOS. They're still sort of sorting out what Starfleet is. Oh, yeah. I mean, in 
if if this wasn't Star Trek, it would have been fantastic. Like, yeah, I could see, uh, I, I could see, um, like if if this had been since we're talking about Joss Whedon, if this had been some kind of a Firefly episode, uh, Zoe coming in and taking on that role and just busting heads until she got, yeah, Mal and Wash back would would have been Chef's kiss. <laughs> right uh and gina torres would have like owned that oh my god it was amazing um which unfortunately is not which is of course not what happened at any point because you know people were apparently shocked to discover that joss whedon was a misogynist and i'm over here like have you actually watched any of his oeuvre because what <laughs> joss whedon was a very 90s feminist where the idea where your feminism was putting put have, having a hot girl kick ass was your the the, the but the, not kick ass on her own right like not kick, never kick ass on her own because she had to have a cast of supporting men in order to pick her up yeah. when inevitably she broke a nail or some nonsense yes. right um and or the story subjected her to unreasonable almost torture porn levels of misery because i mean there is a lot of punitive violence that occurred in yes. Buffy, in Angel, in Dollhouse. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um which is interesting, like when you when you look at that, because that's all 90s era, right? Like, I mean, that is 20 years on from where the Lorelei signal was. And yet the Lorelei signal is, I mean, for better or for worse, Uhura and Chapel come down guns blazing, they get shit done, and then they continue on to fix the problem and they end the episode by finding a way to break the cycle. Yeah. That's, and I think yeah. it's very important that it's Uhura that does this, right? That's having this negotiation with Thela. Yeah. Um, because Uhura is the one, I mean, because basically she's looking at it and she's like, this is, you know, this is a problem and this is a problem that I can solve. And ultimately the solution is to take you off of this planet that has created this, this situation. Because there's an awareness here that Thela's people, for better or for worse, are just as much of just as much victims of their biology and their environment as they are victimizing, you know, Kirk's Bach at all. I, I feel like that that we could if if this had been a longer episode and more in-depth, it would have been really interesting to look more into the Thela's people in, in that, yeah, that they, they truly have them to be wear clothes and not so much juggle weird... Yes. If weird things, like, like weird, weird polygons. If they got a bit more development than being the Swedish bikini team, Swedish bikini team at a toka party, but the, but they, they were like they were allowed to wear pants, mind you. Like, did you notice that those were all like epic seventies pantsuits? I, I saw a couple of them. Yeah, they're not skirts, um, and none of them, I believe, are wearing skirts. And I think that 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 was a very interesting, um, <coughs> again, sorry, design choice to make because if you're going to because you contrast that with the skirts or rather scants that we see on all of the Starfleet women. Uh, yeah, that's true. You got a point there. I, I hadn't picked up on that, I'll be honest. I had kind of seen the general outline of their clothes and jumped straight to, oh, the gauzy flowing, barely there dresses that dominated a lot of the alien women of the original series. And you're not wrong. I mean, you are not wrong. One of my one of my favorite examples of this is Cloudminders. Um, when you look at the women of Ardana who are basically wearing um, a bikini top and like hoop skirts, it's a very specific, weird 
silhouette that they've got going there. I mean, I think, it, I mean, they're beautiful in a lot of ways, but like also there's so much to be said. Um, because I gotta tell you, like one of the things about the scans is, is they're so incredibly impractical. <laughs> right, I mean, they're all, I, mean, I say this owning one because I am that kind of a nerd. Um, and everybody watching this is like, please don't ever wear that for us. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I mean, if you um, want to drive the viewer numbers up. <laughs> um, they're incredibly difficult to wear because in, you've got to be hyper aware of how you move so that you, I mean, even if you're wearing shorts or bloomers underneath, which you have to. Yeah. Like there's no real way around it. Um, in order not to like flash God in the world. Um, it, it's it's extremely hampering in how you move. Whereas, you know, like the Swedish bikini team, however, have far more range of motion. Yeah. Right. They are not they are I mean, despite being, you know, wrapped up in these really sort of like the cishet lens of how frightening women are, right? Because again, going back to what you said earlier, these are all women who have power because they are using their sexuality, they're using their attractiveness, they're using their feminine wiles um, to suck these men dry. Yeah. I mean, that's the inherent myth that we're working with, which is basically, you know, which basically demonizes these women. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's but they're still, but they're still, but they still get a chance to wear practical clothing, like they're still able to do things in ways that these supposedly liberated Starfleet women cannot, because they are also shackled to a very particular male gaze. I think one of the things you know the, the at the end of the episode, uh, like like you've pointed out, it was just cringy that the. Dila's women were like, oh, we get to experience love again and maybe have children. Like, uh, ladies, you're on... You're a higher bar! You, well, first off, you, you're a planet full of women. I, I mean, we, we've covered this in Wonder Women. They were experiencing love. Uh, of that, I'm pretty sure. It, it just wasn't, you know, the reproductive love that you could uh, talk about in the 70s. Right. Family right. TV show. Um, but also, like, one of the things I did think was interesting was the extent to which they weren't demonized in the end. They, they, it was understood by Ihura and Chapel and by extension the audience that they were victims. That this had been a, a, an evolution of their biology in response to uh, an external stress event by moving to this planet and that this was what they had to do to stay alive. And once the opportunity was presented to them to no longer psychically prey on men, they were thankful for the chance to do that, which I think that could have been a much, a really interesting thing to go into uh, more yes, so. They with did, the because I kind of almost wonder if that's actually a symbolic transfer of power. Hmm. Um, because I think Lorelei signal is about power. And it's about who has it and who doesn't and how you get it. Um, the women of, of Thela's planet, the Taurian system, um, have power because they are preying on men and they are leeching off men's power, their vitality, all the things that make them men, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, because there's something, what's interesting, the other thing that I find really interesting is there's no indication that we have any sort of societal development going on. Right. Right. Um, it almost seems as though like society has just paused that they, you know, as a result of the lack of men, nothing has moved forward. Um, Which is really I mean, and Thela makes this point. I mean, they're stuck in this sort of barren immortality. Like we've been, you know, they've been stealing ships. They, they, they've been, you know, psychically luring in ships full of men for uh, we don't know how many. Leons, Romulans, Vulcans, like all of these species, there is no indication 
that any of that technological advancement or those technological like goods have been integrated into um, into this into their society. Like all we have is that god awful Opdod, which. Can we talk a little bit about how terrible the tonal manipulation part was? <laughs> if we sing to our, if we sing to our computer, it will play Deus Ex Machina for us. Yeah, yeah. Not only are we singing, we're singing badly. Like, why would you have Major Barrett do that when you actually have Nichelle Nichols available? I have so many questions. Because because women have to use pretty voices for things. I'm just going to keep drinking. I feel like, um, if I may, I feel like when I watched this episode, because I'm, I'm kind of catching up now after putting my niece in the living room and telling her to just watch TV, please. Um, well, <laughs> what I... <laughs> Welcome to Parenthood, William. <laughs> Welcome to Parenthood. I am content with just being Uncle Will until Papa Will when I'm like 32 or something, Okay. Well, anyway, um, so just my take on this episode that I was trying to say earlier. Oh, my God. Does that hurt my hair looks today? Okay. Um, I'm going to need you to rein in your vanity for a second. It was so, as far as the writing goes, it was terrible. Yeah. It was fucking terrible. Um, and I'm speaking this objectively from like a cinematic um, film production perspective. I yeah. feel like knowing the backstory that Yuhura wanted something that she could lead in, I felt like they threw her a bone. And I don't like that. And I'm not speaking just as a man or a man of color. I'm speaking as just a human being because I'm not, I didn't feel any of that. I felt like she was just doing her duty to bring old Massa back to the ship. And I did not like that. I'm and I'm, you know, I'm sorry and to feel like that, but that's exactly how I felt. Because it's just like, oh yeah, let's get Nichelle, let's get Uhura and Chapel and and anyone that sounds like Chapel and bring them back to the fold. We don't even know what species they were, so we, I don't know how in the hell that they were gonna return back to normal in five months. What the hell is normal to them? I don't even know the name of the species. Like all I know is that some hundred years, some hun couple hundred years ago, whenever the hell that was, probably first contact they were on. I give a shit. Is that they got on this planet? It, this this episode is like a cross between Jeepers Creepers, um, <laughs> anything with mermaids in it, and the the Harry Kim episode in Voyager when he was mm -hmm. called home. It was literally that. Mm -hmm. It was literally that. They even took it as far as sucking the man dry in in Voyager. Like he's just gone. They mummified. <laughs> I also I, really love that Jermaine has now created you like your own scrolling marquee, by the way. Like look at this. <laughs> I'm just saying. So I am watching this and I'm trying to get through it. I'm actually trying to get it's through painful. it. It's painful. It is it is it's, it's painful. Like, this is my so, so can we talk can we actually interject for a moment? Like um yes. so who actually comes up with a resolution for this? Who actually breaks the control of the probe that gets launched? Um, which is funny because at no point do we see a probe launched. It's just we're told it exists. So I'm kind of like, mm -hmm. is that really happening? I'm I don't know. To out, is it that like that ball that they blew up at the end? Is that the No, the no, that was the opt-odd. But anyway, okay, maybe the know. is like this computer thing that emits a probe. That's the one they sing at, yeah. yeah. But you'll note that Spock is on his sick bed, and Spock, they're all like, and Spock is like, I need you to use all of the power to the deflector shields, blah blah blah. And like, Chaplin and Horror, are like, yeah, bro, we did that. And he's like, no, you have to. Is all the power. I'm going to use the Kirkland signature winter cold for all I can at this point. It's literally yeah, the only good thing. What that reminds me of is literally another man telling a woman what to do when the woman clearly already thought of it first and did it. And right. And that's what's really, really frustrating about this because it's just like, we did that, Brosif. And he's like, no, obviously you didn't do it right. So go do it again. And I just, like, at that point, I'm beating my head against the floor and the boys are like my children are like mama mama time out you can't get head <laughs> i'm like oh guys i would love to have a time out from this episode 
And, and Will, what you were saying about how this this was kind of a a really unsatisfying throw you her a bone for her power moment. It, yeah. Of course, it, of course, her 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 take charge moment has to be against other women. She we can't have her taking charge against, say, a ship full of Klingons or a a real man threat. Yeah. No. Yeah. And it, and it's and it's like and it's like and still in the and and on a per, more personal note, she's quite literally the only woman of color in this entire. Now I get it was seventy three. I, I know. A lot of white people. I know, but it literally a lot of white me, people and a lot of peroxide blonde. It it gives me. Uh, have you seen um, either the 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 two thousand and four remake or the original Time Machine movie? Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. In the original um, Time Machine film, they're the original one. In the future, it they literally look just like what we saw mm-hmm. in this. They look just like that. Just like the that. Eloy do. The Eloy do. Yeah. Their their bestial counterparts, which are literally being translated as people of color, do not. So it's like so <laughs> because H.G. Wells, right. So it, 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 I don't know what general premise they had for, hey, let's make all the women look like this in some near distant future as a go-to thing. And let's make Yuhura the hero, even though she literally has five lines the entire show, like, and probably less than three minutes of screen time. So like, what what is going on here? It, it literally gave me the vibe of, um, even though I, even though Troy remains one of my favorite characters in all of Trek, it reminded me of when they gave her her first episode, and it was just like I think it was called the Child, um, and that. Can that, we just not? Can we just not? Like that? We're gonna we're gonna hit the Child. Don't worry. We're, we're gonna hit the Child. I think it was season one. Uh, season nope, two. Season two, one. episode one. Yeah. So that's that a whole other like ballpark. Yeah. But again, what what I get sick of on a personal note. Again, try not to speak on things that I have no business speaking on, but you know, I'm here because Marie said I could be here. Is that, the, oh, hey, you're a woman. How about you do this? And because you're inferior, weak, and you can't listen to a man, you can't listen to what old master tell you to do. So therefore, we're going to put you up against a group of people that we feel like you can be instead of giving the true independence and literally and trusting a woman to do what the fuck she's going to do. Like I actually took that as being a little bit different. I actually took that as being a very, like a very purposeful um, highlighting of Uhura's blackness and how she is. I mean, because she does, I mean, she literally is like F this noise. I am done with your nonsense. And she literally is down there, like taking care of their business and fixing their problem for them, like like um, women naturally do. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's what that said. Now, obviously, obviously, like I don't have right, 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 like room to talk. But like, I think that and for me, that was almost kind of like subverting the trope because if it had been truly tropey, Chapel would have been the one to take over, and it would have been the Battle of the Blondes. But it's not. It's okay. not. Yeah, from, from from that perspective, I guess so. I think... Um, I mean, Uhura well, is as different from Thela's people and almost as it is possible to get and still be on the same gender spectrum. Which, again, for 1973, that was probably a bigger deal than... Like, like it, seems, it, it seems really trite to us now. But in 1970, in the early 70s, it was probably a, a bigger deal and came off a lot more progressive than we might be giving it credit for. Right. Because, again, this is that that sort of like, you know, she ain't no maid moment. I mean, I, I, and I agree, like, from that perspective, yes. I think what kind of derailed it for me was and I know you know Star Trek makes jokes all the time and there's personal relationships and and I'm sure we'll talk about that in comrades later on, but I feel like what <laughs> almost derailed it for me was in the very end was when Kirk asked, "Hey, am I good? Am I great?" And you heard said, "Just as handsome as ever," and that literally pissed me off. I was like, "But what I 
loved, guys, what I loved about that is this is literally the only time in that whole episode where the weird animation style really works um, because their face, their faces never change. But there's just like somehow the animation for Uhura's face right there is just two steps away from being eye rolling. Like, if you look at her, and Michelle Nichols' delivery of that line is so weirdly flat <laughs> for her. Mm-hmm. I, well, I, well, like, I, I really, I mean, I, I heard that, and I was just snarking. Because, like, in saying. my, in my like head, like, she was like... She yeah. Yeah. I just feel like, like, with that line... But it's terrible. Motion, terrible line. It's terrible line. It was just terrible. I was like, I would have much rather her. At, I would have much rather her said, "Guess who's coming to dinner?" I would have much rather her say that than this. It's like, oh yay, let's remember who's in charge at the end of the day. While Kirk and Spock and no one else gave any type of credit to the people who actually saved their asses, like they normally do every time. Like you know, and it's just same script, different cast, and. It's, it's literally making my head hurt. This for is- me, one of the things that, like, so I, I spent a lot of time in college and grad school reading right. beer. And one of the things that, like, that always happens in the comedies, right, is there's this restoration of order. And there's this concept of natural order. And the natural order is, is that, you know, white dudes are in charge over women, people of color. Period. Right. And there's something very Shakespearean, actually, about the Lorelei signal, not in terms of quality of writing. No, no, no. Yeah. But in terms of this weird restoration of order sequence that we get at the end. And it's, it's, it's just this, this reinforcement of this is what order looks like. And order, natural order, looks like men are in charge, women are not. Mm-hmm. Men are going off and doing cool stuff. Women are off pursuing love and children. And there's a very real denigration of that that happens in this episode, by the way. Because I don't want, I, I, I certainly don't want anybody to watching this episode to get the impression that, you know, Trucker's Delight or FTP or any of us are like, we're going criti- to criticize your choices if this is what you want. Because that's not it right that's that's not it if you decide that you're off and you want to be whatever like you do that and that's fine the problem i have with episodes of like the lorelei signal is that it's telling us that there is no choice saying this is the only way whether you like it or not it's this like, is, this this is, is the, the order. Order of natural order of things. The natural order of things is the men are, I mean, going back to Turnabout Intruder, the the men are the ones who get to be captains. The women do not. And if you want to be a captain, there's something inherently disordered about you as a woman. Right. Which is one of the reasons that we're following Turnabout Intruder uh, with the exception with the exception of the live show because that was a bit of a different issue but we're following turnabout intruder with this episode because we're looking at how tos is exploring this concept of natural order yeah pretty much um and i gotta say tos tas uh they both kind of fail <laughs> i mean Turnabout, intru- Turnabout Intruder is possibly um, 45 minutes of the most sexist sexist nonsense I've ever seen. Kind of like Code of Honor is 45 minutes of the most racist television I've ever seen. Um, and, you know, but the Lorelei signal really shows us where that fits. Um, because even though Turnabout Intruder is 1969, um, we at least get mild improvement mild but mild improvement with Uhura being allowed to take charge even if it is even if it's not exactly what we would like it to be um and i think going back to eris's point that this would have been much more impactful to an audience in 1973 i i really wonder and i tried looking it up 
to see if Nichelle Nichols had anything to say, if there was any type of interview, or what the audiences would have had to say about that moment 50, 49 years ago, like when it came out. I remember reading somewhere that, that Nichelle Nichols actually enjoyed the episode and thought that uh, she, she really enjoyed Yuhura's spotlight moment, which is, which is one of the reasons that I, I tried to bring up that, you know, in, in, and for the time, it probably hit a lot different than it does to us now. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Chekhov, right? I mean, I, and I keep harping on Chekhov because, you know, again, for us in you know, twenty twenty two, the inclusion of Chekhov on, you know, like on the bridge is is kind of like a yeah 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 whatever. He's just Russian, but you know in the throes of the Cold War, that was a huge statement. I sort of feel like Uhura being able to take charge and Chapel letting her. I think that's also really important is that Chapel just steps back and is like, okay, you're in charge now. Right. Why do you think that they gave her, well, I, I will, you know what, 50 years ago, it would have been gave. Why do you think that they gave her this episode at all? Like why? In, in season one of all seasons. Well, TS only has two seasons. So, step one. Um, oh. I, no, I don't know. Um, I think some of it had to do with Leonard Nimoy, of all people. Um, because I don't know if you remember, but Leonard Nimoy actually went to, went to bat for yeah. George Takei's inclusion. And I think also... And Michelle Nichols's inclusion in the animated series because basically he was like, Look, if you're going to bring the cast back, you need to bring all of these other people. They were just going to skip the people of color and just go with the, you know, white or white passing individuals, with the exception of Nimoy, who's, I, I mean, whose ethnic identity as Jewish is very much a, a part of who he was and one of the reasons that he almost didn't make it into the second cut of star trek okay because because, because yeah. he was he was so like he didn't I, I hesitate to say he didn't look white enough but i think it there was this question of whether or not nimoy looked too saturnine and would be frightening to female audiences which is which ended up being the literally the opposite of what happened. Right. Like it's like to me, what I considered good writing, what I considered a badass moment for Yuhura was when she again still helping Kirk, but um her moment what well, I consider her her personally me, her moment in um uh Star Trek three when mm-hmm. when she was in the transporter room. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's she, for a minute there, I thought we were going to have to have a whole conversation about why, like, the fan dance for her AARP oh, benefits was not okay. Yeah, but um, basically, I'm still traumatized by like to- told the boy to get in the closet, <laughs> which is is like the best joke of all of um, TOS movie film. Like, it's the best joke ever. Like, yeah, go in, you you can't come out in this century. You have to go back in. <laughs> like, it's like you want to look fancy, huh? Yeah, good boy. Heck in the closet. Go on. Go on. Like literally has Mr. Adventure, Mr. Adventure just got him. Just got him. It was a bit of an ageism thing going on there too. Well, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I think so. I do. Yeah. Um, you know, because he was what, what was he like a ensign? Like and but anyway, to me that was weird. Like, There's a weird dichotomy in Star Trek V actually about like where age and how that plays into a lot of the very odd kind of dynamics that show up you know in addition to in addition to to star trek 3 it's it's really sort of fascinating to watch how um how it gets treated going into the films too right like because shatner right like shatner ages a lot right like and he doesn't age gracefully no. Like he wasn't even aging gracefully toward the end of Star Trek, like the original series. Um, and he got really, really un- unfortunately fat shamed for that. Um, 
And, but it's really fascinating to kind of contrast that because like he's allowed to get older and everybody else is allowed to get older, but Nichelle Nichols is not so much. Basically, and, basically he got fat. That, that's, kind of, that's par for the course with how show business treats women in general. Uh, women so, are allowed to age or gain, still. Gain, gain weight as they actually age. And Carrie Fisher had to deal with that a mm -hmm. lot in you know, Star Wars as well. Right. Yeah. But I, and this goes to, and, and I realize that Amy Poehler is kind of like problematic on a number of levels, but like, I really love her and you'll have to forgive the term. I love her last fuckable day sketch. Yes. Um, because it's so, it, it's so spot on, right? Because there's, you know, like Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who is still a remarkably beautiful woman and they're celebrating her last fuckable day. And there's this whole line where they're like, oh, men don't have that. No, and it's terrifying to me because that's true. It is, it's not uncommon to see older men. Like, I mean, there's a, a long-standing joke about how you know, like Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio gets older, but his girlfriends don't. Yeah, and that's okay. Leonardo DiCaprio did not age good. No, and it broke my heart. And it's so, like, <laughs> and you know. The, the female stars who have defied that trope to an extent have been ones who have more stereotypically masculine roles. I, I think in specifically uh, Sigourney Weaver and Gillian Anderson. Mm. Mm. Um, also, I think like Sigourney Weaver is now shifting into this whole world where she she now makes appearances as her own sort of Easter egg. I mean, because it's like we know we if you know Sigourney Weaver, and you're old enough to know anything about films at all, um, you know what she's known for. You're killing I mean, me. You're killing I mean, me. I ba basically, basically anyone my age and up, you need to know what Sigourney. Wait, I'm, I'm over here coughing in old. <laughs> Here now, not a <laughs> I was alive in you know shopping in toy stores when the the aliens came out was big and they were pushing all the toys for it. They actually sold toys back then. Yeah, I, I, I thought they didn't do that until like Alien Resurrection or something. No, I was literally like I was. Like today, this afternoon, I was actually recording um, rants, and we were talking about like um, spaceballs and how like George Lucas had changed, um, had changed show business because jo George Lucas is really the first guy to like come out and hit the marketing as hard as he did. Um, so that's why you would get like spaceballs, the towel, spaceballs, t-shirt, like you know, jokes from from Mel Brooks. Um, but yeah, like one of the part of that is in fact like the push for the xenomorph figures when Eris and I were kids. Wow. I mean, at least we can technically say that Sigourney Weaver is part of the Star Trek franchise, technically. I mean, Galaxy Quest was the best Star Trek movie ever made. Better than, than better and than at some point, and at some point we are gonna have to cover that. Better than the Oroville. Better. I'm sorry, what? You what said a word. You said a word there, and I, you know, like, my brain just kind of whited it out. And I had such high hopes for Orville. I really did. I'm scared to watch it now. I am still mad. I am still, still mad about season one. Like, I, there was much that was just not okay about season one. But, like, Cupid's Dagger is some of the most problematic television I think I've watched in recent memory. It had so many great ideas, and then Seth MacFarlane got in the way. Yeah. yeah. And well, we are, and, and we are eventually going to have like a like we'll do like a segment on the Oracle. But I mean, we'll, I, we'll I just remember telling my editor I was like, because I was covering the Oracle for season one, and I remember reaching out and being like. I'm done. Like, I cannot write an article about this episode. It's that bad. It's a giant gay joke wrapped around a rape joke, and none of this is okay. Yeah. 
to my surprise, we actually made it through on time. Wow. <laughs> I did not think that we, uh, honestly, I thought that talking about this episode was going to be like 15 minutes of, oh my God, this is awful. <laughs> <laughs> what, you, what none of you can see is that Jermaine has sent us a message and saying William is saying stop. You should listen to him. Look, and he still has me on the main screen. Like, he does. He does. like no, I, I'm just saying. Like, but there's a lot. But going back to Eris's point, there's a lot of reasons that this is, that this is awful, and there's a lot of ways in which, like, exploring why it's awful, I think is illustrative especially since we are about to go into um, what I think of in my head as a Hoshi duology um, in Enterprise. So we're going to look at the mirror, like we're going to look at the episode where Hoshi con is contacted by that telepathic entity and nobody believes her. And then we're going to contrast that with um, how she's treated in the mirror universe episode and how, and how the power shift occurs. Oh, oh, so oh, that's where we're going next. Oh, one more small announcement that I have just learned last night. So, um, of course, there's Strange New Worlds, there's uh, Starfleet, Starfleet Academy, and there's, of course, Picard, and you know, and the and the rest of the Discovery. Blah 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 blah. Well, anyway, um, the last the last big announcement that they made, or I guess whoever's in charge, is that no, there will not be a season eight. There will not be a season eight of Deep Space Nine. There will not be a season five of Enterprise, but there will be an anthology series hmm. to figure out where everyone went and what their lives were like after like 10, 20 years after the last time we saw them. So we might see some Sulu. We will see Archer and we might find out what happened to Cisco. Those were some of the names that were brought up in the idea box of the anthology series that's coming up. Awesome. Interesting. Awesome. So it's a way to bring everyone back without bringing everyone back. <laughs> so I gotta tell you, like so we are, we are sincerely living at a new renaissance in in Trek, and I'm I'm here for it. I so what you say is, is that we need to go and actually watch all the Babylon Five movies to see where Deep Space Nine was gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> it gets really weird. But that's what I. Is it really? A ripoff of that? that? Oh my god, it is. I, I know that they have officially denied that Deep Space Nine is a ripoff of Babylon 5. Well, that's shenanigans. It is absolutely. To, to the extent yeah. that the creator of Babylon 5 initially pitched it to Paramount as a Star Trek show and got shot down. And then Deep Space Nine came out and pretty much has the exact same plot. Almost, like, almost to the nowhere. point of like the Jesus factor. Yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, it is. It now, don't, don't get me wrong. Don't do not get me wrong. I am very, very glad we got both because I think yes. um, Babylon Five went in very different directions and did different things that you couldn't necessarily do, do in Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like you will, you will pry Dax and Kira. And Odo out of and and Quark out of Michael dead hands. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I don't think JMS was really set up to do what they did. Um, and I'm really grateful that Ira Bear got it. Um, but yeah, no, there's there's the whole stink. Yeah. It's a bit, you know. There's there's a, there was a bit of a kerfluffle. It's a bit of a kerfluffle, but. Um, However, that said, we are now wrapping um, yes. with the Lorelei signal. Um, I want to thank both of you for coming and playing in the sandbox. Um, and just as a reminder, we are going to move into um, looking at Hoshi Sato in Enterprise coming up. So I really hope that all of you who watch this come along and watch the following episodes. And this has been Trekker's Delight, Trek FTP. And thank you guys for watching. Live long and yeah. Bye.